Haskell Leadership Podcast with Jeff Barton. Hello, and as we hurtle into Easter, let's have a brief podcast. You've got four people you're going to hear. You're going to hear Ewan Blair talking about an apprenticeship route, which is helping young people from a whole range of backgrounds, but particularly disadvantaged backgrounds, to gain employment in the technology sector without going to university. You've got inspiration then from Helena Kennedy, who talks about a trust she set up in order to help young people experience education. And one of the recipients of that, Mohammed, now a GP, but who became a GP from the most traumatic of backgrounds because of what both education did and a small amount of funding in the form of a bursary did. And then finally, you've got the Director of Learning from the National Theatre, Alice King-Farlow, talking about the importance of the arts. Hope you enjoy it. I'm Ewan Blair, co-founder and CEO of White Hat. Okay, so we didn't know about White Hat, so tell, tell, tell us what it is. So we are a tech startup on a mission to create a diverse group of future leaders. And we think that you do that by building an outstanding alternative to university. And we broadly focus on three areas. The first is giving employers a way of measuring potential. That's not just work experience and academics. We look at competencies, values, and desires. The second is getting some of the best content from around the world and using it to power apprenticeship programs. So people are learning things that are genuinely useful and stretching. And the third and final piece is an on and offline community of apprentices, which facilitates meetups, mentoring, professional networking, sports teams, societies, so that young people don't feel like they're missing out on those incredibly important experiences by not going the university route. And we work with employers like Google, Facebook, Salesforce on the tech side, BP, Clifford Chance, Mish Kondorea on the more corporate side, media companies like Warner Brothers, Publicis, and a whole host of startups, scale-ups, and SMEs in mainly London and the southeast at the moment. Okay, so when I first heard that, what I assumed is, okay, so what you're doing is you're doing apprenticeships, but they are in this kind of new technology and stuff. But actually, it's more than that. The, the, the content is part of what you're doing, but it is trying to provide something which you would traditionally get through university. You've, you mentioned it there. But just spell out why that yeah. matters, would you? So if you look at, we broadly refer to it as social capital. If you look at what it takes to be successful in the workplace, yes, skills are important and knowledge is important, but there are mu- there's much more to it than that. It's not just about the employment and the training. Actually, the ability to develop confidence and across competencies we measure like grit and resilience, conscientiousness, interpersonal skills, growth mindset, all of that is often developed by peer challenges, by meeting new people, by having experiences that you wouldn't normally get to have. And so it's really important that apprenticeships aren't just fixated on individual job roles, but give you a much broader outlook. So every single one of our apprentices, regardless of the qualification they do, will do something we call the Future Leaders Foundation. And this covers modules ranging from challenging conversations through to negotiation to through to financial planning. And this is not stuff that people are being taught in school. In fact, it's generally not stuff they're being taught at university, but is incredibly important to becoming a future leader. And I mentioned at the start, we talk about creating a diverse group of future leaders. We don't want to just place people into jobs. We want them to be the people making the decisions in boardrooms in 20, 25 years time and actually driving an agenda forward. We, we, we're in an era we talk a lot and hear a lot about social mobility and so on. And, but for too many people, it's a kind of rhetoric, isn't there, around that? And if you look at the careers that people might aspire to go into from top universities, so they look to go into the city or go into law, go into medicine and so on, what you tr- traditionally get is the same kind of people going into those. 
What about your clientele? What's, what's distinctive about them? This is such a great point because it's something I was very aware of. I left university and went into a career in investment banking. And I was basically surrounded by people who were white, middle class, generally male, and very, very similar to me. And I think one of the things that frustrated me was there was no, we had no divine right to be in these career roles, but we were being funneled this way because of the way the system operated. And one of the questions we constantly say that we're trying to provide an answer to is how do you make sure that the best jobs of the next decade don't go to the same people the best jobs of the last decade went to? And if you look at the kind of young people we work with, Half of the apprentices we place have claimed free school meals, 65% are non-white, 7% are from care leave or refugee backgrounds. These are not the usual suspects, and that's an incredibly important way of how we activate people from different backgrounds. Okay, last question. So uh, you've got 19,000 school college leaders listening to that. Um, What do they need to know and where can they find out more about this? So we have launched a free portal for teachers, young people, parents called careerhacker.ai. That includes case studies from apprentices, day in a life examples of what actually being on an apprenticeship program covers. Uh, It has interviews, it has guides to different sectors and career paths and a careers quiz. We'd love them to go and explore that and hopefully that can be useful. We also have a program of apprentice influencers where they will go out to schools and talk about their experience because there is nothing more powerful than hearing from someone who is doing this at the moment, what it's allowed them to achieve and, and the direction it's, it's leading their life towards. And I think the final thing is, if they know people who they think would benefit from doing an apprenticeship, and by the way, challenge your assumptions on that. We have some people with great academics who actually don't want to go to university because they know what it is they want to do and they don't want to spend three years just learning in an academic environment. Um, have them take a look at whitehat.org.uk. They can sign up to our platform and they can find out more. You and Blair, thank you. My name is Helena Kennedy. I'm uh, a member of the House of Lords. I'm a lawyer, Queen's Counsel, and, uh, and I'm here having dinner at the uh, award ceremony for the further education colleges and uh, the great work that they do. And uh, I've just been making an appeal for the Helena Kennedy Foundation. And that's a little foundation that was set up by the further education uh, sector in my name because I did a report on further education back in the 1997 and it was really um, uh, it was really to to sort of talk up the further education sector and how important it is in in our society because of giving opportunities to people often people who had been a bit leery about going into higher education or onward education after school sometimes when they'd had bad experiences but often because of their family circumstances because of sick parents people who had mental health problems their parents and so the children become carers or children who had been in families which where there was real disruption perhaps through divorce and separation children who were taken into care girls who got pregnant at 15 people who would go back to education often find their way through um, further education and then we would give little bursaries to be able to help them make the transition to higher education um, when they've got themselves some uh, qualifications to make that possible and and it's often that just that extra bit of money that can make all the difference to pay for perhaps your childcare or your travel or pay for the things that are so hard and the bursaries make a huge difference I and mean, as we all know it's education that changes lives and in this and in, for my students 
you know, the ones who get the benefit of these bursaries, which are named after me, um, they, they, it really changes lives. It's wonderful. It means a lot to me personally because in my own family, I came from a, a working class family in Glasgow and I was the first in my family to go on to higher education. And uh, I had two older sisters who were um, that, that bit older than I was. And because of our family circumstances, they left school at 15. And yet both of them had their chance of, you know, kind of making a better uh, and more fulfilling life for themselves by going into further education when they were older. Uh, one of my sisters, when she was in her 30s, um, after she'd had some kids, um, uh, ended up going through, after FE, going to Glasgow University and went into teaching in a big comprehensive in Glasgow. And another sister became, um, did a, 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 a diploma in a further education college and went into social work. And so these things have given chances in my family. I've seen it making a difference. And to my cousins and people in, in, in working class areas up and down the country, but not exclusively working class. A lot of our students, for example, are, are, are young people who basically have been handicapped in, in education, often because of disruption in their lives. And, uh, and, and, and for example, we, we give a number of our awards to asylum. The people who are here have been given asylum because of terrible tragedy back home in places of conflict. So um, this is a way of making a difference to people's lives. And so when I, sometimes I'm invited to speak at big events, and they'll say, oh, you know, we'd like to give you, pay you something. And I say, no, put it into the foundation. And so, and, you know, we get lots of donations from people because people know that it is education that makes makes the change for people. Oh, my name's uh, Mohammed Abdi and I'm a GP in South London. And you're a GP in South London, but you've got an extraordinary story to tell. So give us a little bit of a flavour here at the TS FE Awards of um, how you got to be a GP in South London. Uh, I came, basically all started when we arrived in this country as a refugee from Somalia. In 1997, we arrived with my family and uh, it was my mother and my three little brothers. Uh, my dad died in the war back in Somalia. I came in the UK with speaking little English and I went straight away. I joined a, a high school in South London in middle of year nine. Uh, my aspiration has always been like when I arrived in the UK, I wanted to do something related to healthcare. And my dream was always to be a doctor because I've always been inspired to help people, especially having traveled back home from back home, which was Somalia, East Africa. When I arrived here, initially I had given up the hopes of studying medicine because it was quite a barrier not speaking any word of English. So I had to teach myself and study extra hard and uh, live in a hostel with my mother in three years, in a small little room sharing with my mother and two brothers. It was a struggle for the first three years and I managed to do my GCSE and then I joined a college in South London called Coleslund College. I remember when I was asked what do I want to do, I said I still I want to be a doctor and I remember I was told that it'll be it's such a challenge to be or there's a lot of barriers into getting to medicine and I needed to work very hard. I was still struggling but I, I remember I recalled very well. I used to attend like every day, like I'd go to the library Monday to Sunday here, I would not have a break, I'll stay awake till one o'clock in the morning, wait until my mother I'd switch on my little lamp as we're sharing uh, the hostel with my mother. I'd switch a little lamp on just to study so that I can get my grades to study medicine. 
I had given up the hope to study medicine because it was quite difficult to get a work experience. And I recalled very well, I said to my senior uh, college tutor that I don't think I'll make it because there's a lot of barriers to that I had to overcome. The one thing is I had to write a personal statement, I had to get a work experience, I also get a good grade. I, I still believed in myself, but at that time when I gave up hope, uh, my tutor told me, you shouldn't give up. And one of the aspects why I wanted to give up is the financial strains we were going through. Living in a hostel, my mom worked as a cleaner in the home office in Croydon. And my mom couldn't support me to go to further higher education. I remember I told this to my tutor and she said to me, we could apply for the Helena Kennedy Foundation. And I said, okay. And we filled in the application and I just thought well, just by, by chance. I was called in a month later to say, oh, well, Mohammed, you've won this Helena Kennedy Foundation. I was shocked and I was, I didn't know what, what Helena Kennedy Foundation was. But they suggested to me that I needed to meet Helena Kennedy to go and get my word uh, in the House of Commons. I felt this great belief that someone believes in me, not the financial strain, but someone believed in me outside uh, uh, my college. At this point, I thought, okay, I've got the helps up. I attended House of Commons and when I was nominated, given an award, I had this great, great hope. I felt that this is the start of my dream. I worked incredibly hard and after three months I managed to get into St. George's Medical School. I studied medicine and a Bachelor of Science degree and after six years I qualified to be a doctor. During that six years I took my opportunity to work very hard, morning till evening. I will stay in the library till one o'clock because I was privileged. This is my dream I wanted to do. In my first year I was nominated as the best student in my medical school, second year as well. and I. It's because I took that opportunity for the love I really wanted to do and I, that was my dream and my ambition. In 2009, I, I qualified uh, from St. George's Medical School as a doctor and to me that was my dream. I had achieved my dream. However, I felt that the necessary thing that I needed to do to give back. Since then, I have worked across London, hospitals, in different specialities, and now I'm training as a, a general practitioner, which I've worked for the last two years. In the last couple of years, I've gone back to Africa, helped her, given aid, and also trained people who are studying back abroad in terms of medicine. That word had Helena Kennedy Foundation inspired me completely. I look back. 15 years ago there was no chance I believed in myself that I thought I would make it in life to get to this far stage. I'm so privileged to have met many people in my life who helped me significantly and I don't think that I would have made it without them. I look back to it and I think about it and I'm always constantly helping people, especially people and students who come from deprived backgrounds, to give them hope and tell, share them that my story, what I've gone through and give them that hope and to say that we believe in you and many people out there are intelligent, are smart and they're determined but they just needed that hope to be given that opportunity like myself and once I was given that opportunity I took it. I hope that people will take this story and share this and will be able to help others in not only financially but to give them support and that's my story, I'm sorry. I lucky, I, I was fortunate to come across great teachers, great principals who gave me the hope. Although the barriers were difficult to overcome and looking back, uh, I look back like having lived in this country, coming from a different country as a refugee. My dad died in the war in Somalia, war-torn area, to live in a very deprived area, 
I was living in a hostel. I found it very difficult. I needed the support network. And without that opportunity, I was privileged to live in, in, in an area where I found great teachers, great principals who believed in me. And through my journey, without them, there was no way I look back. And I, I wake up every single day in the morning and I cannot believe I'm a doctor. Mohammed, thank you so much. Privilege to meet you. Thank you. My name's Alice Kingfarlow. I'm Director of Learning here at the National Theatre in London. And uh, we're here at the National Theatre, and I think what surprised me as someone who's been to the National Theatre for far too many years probably is how much you're doing in terms of learning. It's not just education in a narrow sense, learning. Give us a flavour, Alice, of some of those things. Well, it's a very, very wide-ranging programme which encompasses everything from our amazing archive, which is open to anybody um, through to work with the formal education sector, um, programmes with communities, adult learning, uh, exhibitions front of house. Uh, and I think the important thing to say is that it's a programme which happens all over the country. So we have a number of national programmes uh, which are open to schools. There's Let's Play, which offers great new plays for primary school children to perform. There's Connections, which is our very long-running programme, commissioning new plays for teenagers to perform and providing all the support that you need to, to put on a production and the opportunity to perform on a professional stage in your region. There's there's New Views, which is a playwriting programme for schools which invites students to write short plays about subjects they feel passionately about. And you can also access National Theatre Productions in your classroom. Um, you can sign up to On Demand in schools. And uh, if you're a school, then you can get access to around 11 productions which are available to any school in the country in the classroom whenever it's useful for you to watch them. Now, if, if I'm the head of a school and I think that you know, the accountability measures are just going to put emphasis on the e-back and therefore the arts aren't important, what would you and I be saying in response to that? I think the arts are a vital part of a broad and balanced education. I think they're an entitlement that every young person growing up in this country should have the chance to, to be in a play, to see a play, to explore theatre... Um, to learn through theatre. I think theatre is an amazing way of exploring ideas, of thinking about who you are, of standing in the shoes of others, of developing empathy and curiosity and the skills of collaboration and teamwork that we use here to put on a production. Um, the other thing I would say is that this is a theatre is part of the creative industries it's part of um which is britain's fastest growing industry um there's an extraordinary range of jobs in the creative industries uh, it's worth thinking about the national theatre it employs about a thousand people 350 of those jobs are backstage so there are people working here in areas from sound to automation to um to business skills to design as well as acting so by giving students access to the arts, you're also introducing them to a world where they might find their future career. I think that's really important because, I mean, we, we walked here looking at all kinds of people doing all kinds of very technical uh, jobs, which are in the creative industries, but actually uh, not what you might expect when you walked into a, a theatre. So if I'm uh, finally in, I don't know, the outskirts of Leeds, for example, the outskirts of Exeter or wherever it might be, and I'm thinking, how could I engage more in terms of the arts? What kind of thing could I be doing? Well, in Leeds has, um, just thinking of Leeds, Leeds has a fantastic range of, of arts organisations. There's the Leeds Playhouse, there's, there's Opera North, um, there's museums and galleries. So there will, be, there will be a whole range of local arts and creative organisations and most of those will have education departments and programmes and professional development for teachers and, and, a, and a rich range of opportunities. Um, so look locally, but also look nationally. So 
organisations like the National Theatre have a remit to work across the country. And so a lot of our programmes are designed um, for any school to take part wherever you are in the country. The Ask Leadership Podcast with Jeff Barton.